0: The Old Testament lesson for this Palm Sunday, the Sunday of the Passion, is from Zechariah, the ninth chapter, and this will also serve as the basis for the message this morning. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope, Today I declare that I will restore to you double. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we hear in this reading from Philippians chapter 2. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel reading appointed for this Palm Sunday, The Passion of Our Lord, is from the Gospel of St. Mark, the 15th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, "You have said so." And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, "Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you?" But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison, they who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man named Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. And so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute Jesus, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to be crucified." And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down, come down from that cross. And so also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, Oh, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether or not Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry, and he breathed his last. And the temple of the and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that In this way he breathed his last. The centurion said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, the younger and of Joses, and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, Since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether Jesus was already dead. And when he had learned from the centurion that he was dead, Pilate granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and, taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message is the Old Testament lesson from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, where the prophet Zechariah foretells of the Messiah riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. I want to remind you of these words, beginning at verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, daughter of Jerusalem! See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken, and he will proclaim peace, peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is our text. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is our suffering servant have you watched the movie the end of the spear the movie is based upon some true events that happened back in the 1950s it tells the story of five missionary families and how they traveled to the eastern rainforest of Ecuador so that they might be able to share the good news of God's love in Christ Jesus with the Wadoni people the Wadoni people are one of the most violent societies ever documented by anthropologists. Every Wadoni understood that he who lives by the spear dies by the spear, so it's best to spear your enemy before they spear you. The Wadoni would raid rival families and factions killing men and children, and then taking the women back to their own camp to make them their servient wives. Outsiders are unwelcome. In the 1940s, when the Shell Corporation tried to put some work into that area, so many of their workers were killed by the Wadoni people that Shell pulled out of the project. By the mid-1950s, It was well known that very few people from the outside world who had made contact with the Wodoni people lived to talk about that contact. And now enter five Christian missionaries. Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, Ed McCauley, Pete Fleming, and Roger Yoderian, and their families. And their goal to make contact with the Wadoni people with the goal of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with these people. The movie End of the Spear has stunning scenes of Nate Saint flying over the rainforest in Ecuador in search of the Wadoni. Systematically he covers the land area, reporting back to his son via radio. Finally one day he spots a Wadoni man and he reports his findings. And then he and another missionary friend begin to drop gifts down to the, to the people below them. And the five missionary men begin to make plans, plans to fly into the area and make contact with the Wadoni, even though they're well aware that past attempts by other people have resulted in death. This is what God has sent them to do. This is their calling. Surely God will give them success. They have God's message of love and forgiveness. A message that the Wadoni desperately need. What could possibly go wrong? In one scene, Nate saint's son asks, Dad, if the Wadoni attack you with their spears, will you shoot them? And Nate responds, no, son, we will not shoot. You see, if we die, we will go to heaven. If they die, they won't. Now let me interrupt this story for just a moment to ask you these questions. Would you intentionally fly in, walk in, drive in, ride in to a place and to a people knowing that there was a very good chance that you might die? Would you do it for the purpose of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people who do not yet believe in him? Well, these five missionaries did. With much optimism and hope, on January 6, 1956, the five missionaries fly into the rainforest and they make first contact with the Wadoni people, a friendly contact with the Wadoni. Some of the Wadoni come out and visit with them and the missionaries give them more gifts. And the missionaries attempt to communicate that they have come as friends sent by God. And the five missionaries are elated. In fact, they document that visit on film. But then something goes horribly wrong. Others in the tribe are afraid of these outsiders. They remember that white men have come into this area before and and they have killed some of the tribe members and they remember how some of those white men took their children away from them and they want revenge. And so they plot an ambush for the missionaries. And they attack the unsuspecting missionaries. And all five missionaries are speared to death their wives are left without husbands their children without fathers and the question is asked is their sacrifice worth it when jesus rides into jerusalem on palm sunday he enters with no delusions (laughs) he knows what evil people await him in that city he knows what they intend to do to him he knows that it as he rides into the city of Jerusalem he rides into the city in Jerusalem to die oh yes there are people who receive him with fanfare they cover the streets with palm branches and their and their coats and they jubilantly sing Hosanna Hosanna to the son of David blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest but even as they sing there are others who are not so warm and embracing of God's son Instead, there are men plotting and planning to seize Jesus and to kill him. And considering what unfolds in that week, it might be more appropriate for the crowd to sing, ride on, ride on in majesty, in lowly pomp, ride on to die, bow your meek head to mortal pain, then take, O Christ, your power and reign. In lowly pomp on the back of a donkey with a ragtag group of citizens cheering him on, Jesus rides into Jerusalem to die. This is his mission, and Jesus understands it. On numerous occasions, Jesus predicts, we heard such a prediction last Sunday, that he will be arrested and that he'll be ridiculed, that he'll be beaten, that he'll be spat upon, and that he'll even be killed. And shortly after this Palm Sunday parade, Jesus proclaims, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. For I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Well, Jesus is betrayed. He's betrayed by one of his inner circle of friends. He's ambushed. He's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is beaten. He is spat upon by the guards. He feels the brutal force of the end of the nails and the end of the spear as they pierce his body. Is Jesus' torturous death worth it? Certainly the prophet Zechariah thinks so. He says in our text, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout with joy! daughter of Jerusalem. Seems strange, doesn't it? To rejoice? To shout for joy? For this Savior who rides into Jerusalem to die? Well, there's good reason why Zechariah exhorts us to rejoice and to shout with joy. Because, you see, our King comes to us righteous and having salvation, says the prophet. Julius Caesar's motto was, I came, I saw, I conquered, but his empire fell. He who was the conqueror was conquered. When Jesus comes, he puts a new spin or twist on Caesar's motto. For our Savior Jesus, the motto is, I came, I saw, and I surrendered. In surrendering, Jesus conquers his enemies. St. Paul speaks of this surrendering in our epistle lesson when he writes, "...who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." The writer to the Hebrews says, "...Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, including our own sins." And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And so we rejoice with the crowds of Palm Sunday. We shout aloud with the crowds of Palm Sunday because Jesus rides into Jerusalem to die so that we might be saved. We also rejoice because our King comes to us gentle in spirit our lord realizes the trials and the tribulations that we are going through in our life he knows that we are fighting daily with our sinful nature he knows how tired and weary and confused and how shamed we feel of ourselves at times He knows that our lives are marred by sin and its consequences. He knows that we're ever dealing with the consequences of sickness and death in our lives. And that's why He comes. He comes to us, gentle in spirit, to speak words of healing to us. Our gracious and loving King comes to us in His Word and in His earthly elements of water and holy baptism, and in the earthly elements of bread and wine and the holy meal so that he might assure us of his love and forgiveness, so that he might remind us that we are heirs of eternal life and even partaking of a heavenly feast, a heavenly banquet that awaits us in heaven. It's through his word that he calls us to repent of our sin. First of all, to acknowledge our sin and then to repent of it so that he might announce to us his grace and forgiveness and point our eyes to his sacrifice on the cross where he died for our every sin. Someone has said he humbled himself so we could be lifted up. He became a servant so that we could be made heirs. He suffered rejection so that we could be his friends. He denied himself so we could freely receive all things. He gave himself so he could bless us in every way and blessed us in every way we are. Why should we rejoice? Why should we shout for joy? Well, because, this, because Zacharias says our king comes to us restoring peace, not only between God and us, but he establishes peace between conflicted people. In the text that I read to you a few moments ago, Zechariah speaks of Ephraim and Jerusalem, or Judah. These were two rival kingdoms who often went to war against one another. And yet in the prophecy, it is foretold that the king will bring that warring to an end. Zechariah writes I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken and he referring to the Messiah will proclaim peace to the nations his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth God is not foretelling here that there will be peace on earth there will never be peace on earth There will always be wars and rumors of wars until the day our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Yes, there will continue to be wars and skirmishes fought in the Middle East and in other parts of the world and even in the streets of the United States, even within the halls of our own government. And yes, there will be continual wars on the Internet as one group tries to cancel another group. And yet, into this kind of warring mindset that we have, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, proclaims peace. And he brings people together, people who once were at odds with one another, even Jew and Gentile. That's the point that Paul is making in his letter to the Ephesians when he talks about how in Christ, the dividing wall of hostility comes down between Jew and Gentile. You don't need me to tell you this, but we live in a in a world and in a society and in a country that is deeply divided. Deeply divided by race. We hear of those who are oppressed and we hear of the oppressors. We see a racial divide between black and white. We hear of prejudice against Hispanics, abuse of Asians, and we hear the labelling of all white people as being racist. Well, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has something to say about this division. Jesus died for all people, no matter their skin color. Christ died for all people, meaning that all people are reconciled to God our Father. Christ's love and forgiveness for us can then reconcile people to one another. Oh, sure, there's cultural differences. Sure, there's differing values. Sure, there's different outlooks on life. Sure, there's various kinds of beliefs depending on how you've been raised and the culture from which you come. But in Christ, in Christ, there's a basis for mutual respect. In Christ, there's a basis for love. In Christ, there's a basis for the ability to forgive, for patience to listen and to understand, and for us even to experience unity for the dividing wall of hostilities to come down. And the basis for this is the blood of Jesus. Jesus Christ died for all. He has reconciled us to our God, and in so doing, he is also now reconciling us to one another. The basis for this unity that we can have is also the Holy Spirit, who comes to us in holy baptism and where you're baptized into one faith. We have one Lord, one salvation, one common hope, and that is that we will all reside together in the glories of life everlasting. When people live with the love and the compassion of Christ, when they live with this reconciling desire to be at peace with one another, it's amazing what God can do. Indeed, the vi- dividing walls of hostility can come down, and we can, have a un- we can have a unity and a love for people who are so different from us simply because we all confess and believe in Christ as our Savior. I've been personally blessed by brothers and sisters in Christ who are different ethnically from me but who have been redeemed by the same blood of Jesus as I have. My life and my faith is so much richer because of these relationships I have with brothers and sisters in Christ who speak a different language than me, who come from a different country than me, who have a different skin color than me, who have many different outlooks in life than me. But what we do have is that we share a common faith. More importantly, We have a Savior who shares, who has claimed us as his own. Yes, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. They are among the most valued and treasured friends that I have in the whole world. And the connecting link between us is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has called us to a oneness of faith and adoption into the family of God. And so we rejoice and we shout for joy because Savior who comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to die is the very one who can unite people together, who breaks down those walls of hostility and then who extends his kingdoms right to the very ends of the earth. I mean, people of all varieties of ethnicities and languages all around the world are celebrating Palm Sunday today because the Holy Spirit has created faith in them so that they believe in a Jewish man who was conceived in the womb of a Jewish virgin woman, but who is also truly God in the flesh, and they believe that this one Jesus is their Savior. And they share the same faith that we have. And so even as we gather in this sanctuary or we gather on Facebook, the reality is that we're joining our voices with believers all around the world who are making a similar confession of faith and who are worshiping the same God as we are. And so, yes, our lowly king gives us reason to rejoice greatly and to sing and to dance and to make music, to join the throngs and sing, ride on, ride on in majesty, in lowly pomp, ride on to die. O Christ, your triumphs now begin, o'er captive death and conquered sin. Earlier in the message, I asked, was the sacrifice of the five missionary men worth it? Well, let me tell you the rest of the story of the end of the spear, because in many ways the death of the missionary men is only the beginning of the story. You see, the five, the wives of these five missionaries, and one of the missionary sisters with children in tow, they travel into that rainforest to complete what their husbands had started, to share the love and forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ with the people, the very people who had killed their husbands, their fathers, their brother. They know full well that they might experience the same fate, but in their case, they're not speared. In fact, they're invited to live amongst the Wadoni, and they dwell among them, and as they dwell among them, they share the love of God and Jesus Christ with them through God's word and through their loving ways. The king's message of salvation is proclaimed to men and women through these women, through their children. And it's announced to them that although they're guilty of murder and many other sins, that their sins are forgiven because of Jesus Christ, their Savior. And the gentle spirit of the king, Jesus, transforms the Wadoni into a gentler and kinder people. People who love the Lord because they know that He loves them and gave His life for them on a cross. And one of the outcomes is that peace is established between warring tribes as the Wadoni forsake violence and replace it with Christ's compassion and love for those who they once thought were their enemies. Are we willing to ride on to die to face the end of the spear for the sake of the gospel I'm not talking about us necessarily putting our life on the line like those five missionary men did or even their spouses and their children for most if not all of us will never face a situation like that I'm speaking more of what Dietrich Bonhoeffer meant when he famously said when Christ calls a man he bids him to come and die Are we willing to die to our flesh? To resist the temptations that we face day by day? To fight against the urges to betray our Lord? Are we willing to die to the godless ways of the world which tempt us all the time? Are we willing to die to laziness and apathy when it comes to sharing the word of God with other people Are we willing to die to the prejudice that lurks in the hearts of every single human being? Are we willing to die to wrongful, snap judgments that we make of other people without ever really getting to know them or understanding them? As the Spirit of the Lord works in our life through His Word, are we willing to embrace and practice servanthood? To pray that the Holy Spirit would give to us a humble heart and even to cross uncomfortable cultural barriers in order to share the gospel. To recognize that one of the primary reasons why we exist on this earth as a person and as a congregation is to serve the unbeliever who does not share our belief of God, who does not share our values, and who might even live a life that we would be very angered by. And yet the Lord calls us to serve them in humility and with love. Are we willing to enter into such relationships so that we can proclaim the good news of the king to those who do not yet believe in him? You see, that's facing the end of the spear. That's what I mean when I ask, are we willing to ride on to die? And will our sacrifice be worth it? You bet. For the Spirit of the Lord will use us to bring many people into God's everlasting kingdom. And they will sing and they will dance and they will make music to the Lord and they will join the jubilant voices with ours singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.